On this episode of AvTalk, we look forward to the 8th of November, when international air travel to the U.S. reopens to those around the world. We also check in on Ita Airways' first week and the demise of the Alitalia brand. Plus, the A380 is staging a bit of a comeback. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Jason. Happy International Day of the Air Traffic Controller, sir. Oh, that's a thing, I guess. It's a thing and it happens every year, as it turns out, as dates often roll around. Tell me a little about it. I know it's a thing, but I don't know why it's a thing on this particular date. It's a thing. So, this is the International Day of the Air Traffic Controller, not the National Day of the Air Traffic Controller, and not National Aviation Day. And it's also not International Aviation Day. So, now that we've got that set aside, I hope you're ready to learn. Uh, sure. <laughs> Hit me with some knowledge about this this thing, this date. So, so, the International Day of the Air Traffic Controller, and congratulations and, and happy day to all of our air traffic controller listeners. It is the anniversary, so the day, October 20th, we're recording on the 20th of October, and the 20th of October, uh, 1961, is the uh, day of the founding of the International Federation of Air Traffic Controllers Associations. So it's the Association of Associations of Air Traffic Controllers was founded in 1961. And things have changed a bit for air traffic controllers ever since. And they continue to change, I think, I guess, more rapidly in the past few years. So uh, I guess it's both, as we talked about last episode, a very frustrating time to be an air traffic controller, but I suppose also a very exciting time to be an air traffic controller as technology is changing quite rapidly. It's always an exciting time to be in that particular industry. Well, I mean, that's very true. It's one of those things where I came too late to the industry to realize that that was a possibility. And now I'm I'm past my prime, I guess you could say. It's okay. You, you stare so, at uh, a screen for the majority of a day doing different things, but same but outcome. I get to see where they go. I don't get to tell them where to go. That's true. That's a big difference. It is a big difference but fun nonetheless. So yes, happy day indeed. And we wish everyone a a happy International Day of the Air Traffic Control. They should all take the day off next year. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? It'd be great. It'd be great. I mean, as long as we know in advance, it'll be fine. In other happy news, we now have a firm date for which non-US citizens can fly to the US And that date is November 8th, 2021. So in a few weeks time, I'll go with the upswing of this is that borders reopen to travelers who are both fully vaccinated and have a negative test. Uh, So you have to hit both of those check marks in order to come to the US. But if you do hit those check marks, the doors are open and flights are bookable. I know, Jason, you've been looking at kind of the uptick in flight schedules and you actually found a pretty cool one that I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of intrigued by. Yeah. So just before we started recording this, we were talking about how we had nothing to talk about. So I, I grasped at some straws and looked at some pricing for flights on the first day of the return of open travel into the U.S. for non-U.S. citizens, and I was looking at November eighth Heathrow to JFK specifically since that's a very highly competitive, highly traveled route. And 
I was looking to see if prices were increasing. And lo and behold, of course, they are. Nonstop flights have about doubled in price. Still not unreasonably. It's like $800 one way, which is still way below what you would have seen pre-COVID. But the number of flights has increased substantially. So if you were looking at, let's say, this upcoming Monday, October 25th, BA is only operating four flights on that particular day, all 777-200s between Heathrow and JFK. Flash forward to November 8th, and that number more than doubles up to nine flights. And there's one in particular which caught my eye that I don't think anyone's caught before, but they've added an extra flight that you may recognize as a special number. BA-1 operating between Heathrow and JFK is making a return for one day and one day only. 8.30 a.m. departure, arriving JFK at 11.15 a.m., operated by an A350-1000, the current flagship of the fleet. And you may recognize the flight number BA-0001 as a special flight number, as it was used by the flagship Concorde for a very long time, and then later by the A318 baby bus service that operated out of London City via Shannon to JFK. And here we go. We haven't seen BA-1 in years since the baby bus was retired on the, I think, the beginning of the pandemic. It just kind of disappeared, and those aircraft are no longer with BA. So here we have it. One day, one day only. Come one, come all, and come see BA-1. How many business class seats do you think they could fit on an A350-1000 if they went with a only business class configuration like they did on the A318? Ooh, that would be something. That would be that would be interesting. They have right now on the A350-1000, 79 business... Oh, no, that's the wrong number. 56 business class seats. That's still more business class seats than than the baby bus. The, the baby, baby bus is only 32. 32. 32. Yeah. This is way more than double. So yeah, that's... Uh, oh, not more than double. A little less than double. But that's still quite a lot. 219 economy, also 56 premium economy seats. But I wonder, yeah, if they, if you took all of the available space on that aircraft and did the, the suites, what could you get that number to? I'm assuming it would be probably over 100. So let's do that. Let's get us an A350-1000. Okay. Fit it with uh, all business class and we'll call it the company airlines. Mm, perfect. And I do believe this is also the first time BA has brought the A350-1000 to JFK. Sadly, since the 747 was retired, you've only seen 777 says we don't get 7870 or the 350. So this is a nice change of pace if it's if not only for one day. Well, hopefully the, the weather cooperates and it's good for photography and, and plane spotting and all that fun stuff. Yes, November's famously beautiful for plane spotting here in New York. I'm trying to stay positive here. I'm I'm trying to stay positive Fingers crossed. Could be nice. All right. Well, in any case, U.S. borders are reopening. Other airlines are adding flights, except SAS. They're taking away flights. <laughs> we, we can't and, figure that one out. Jason that is a mystery. I, Jason and I are trying to book flights, and they keep taking them away from us. Yeah, well, I can't figure yeah. that one out. They but, still have the uh, 321neo-LR in the schedule, but unbookable. So they've had that planes for how long now, and it still it hasn't was, operated? They were days from launching. And then they said, no, just kidding. And then we haven't heard anything from that. Yeah, it, it's there so in the schedule I, and, and it, on the SAS booking site, but you can't the, have it. The plane exists. 
The plane exists. I've seen the plane. And, and you may and not so, touch it. And you no, may not book I, it. And you may not fly on it. Nor can you uh, fly nonstop to uh, Stockholm to Newark on the day I want to. And just that day. Just that day. They, they, heard, they heard you were coming. But other airlines are adding flights. And United this week added a bunch of oh, rather, yeah, we should talk about that. Rather huh? interesting uh, flight. I mean, these aren't flights to the US, but I, I suppose the return counts as a flight to the US. And, and I think it's worth discussing because some of them are rather interesting. Yeah. Some of them have either not been served by a US airline in decades or have never been served by a US airline. And I am trying to scroll down to get to that list since we didn't know we were talking about this and the link won't work. There we go. Oh, it opened in the wrong tab. So there we go. The most interesting, I think, is Washington Dulles to Amman Jordan, which- I love it. I don't know if- I think Delta used to serve Amman from JFK like way back when, a decade ago. But this is the the re-entry of a US airline into the Middle East- and they say you can go visit Petra, the Dead Sea, uh, all sorts of desert things. And United says it will be the only North American carrier flying directly to Amman. They will be doing three, 3x weekly service with the 78-8. And then on top of that, they're going to the Azores, which is not all that unique. Delta did it up until I think 2019. So not that unique. But while Delta did it with the 757, United is going to do it with a 737 MAX 8. So that's a, a bit of a twist. Yeah, I mean, the Ponta de Gata is where uh, Delta did the plane go crunchy. Oh, yeah, we talked about that, didn't we? Yeah, we load those many in the context of the plane. But yeah, that, that's where it happened. Plane go crunchy. Plane go crunchy. It's, yeah. it's a very technical term. I don't want to take time explaining it. But you know, uh, <laughs> Moving on from that. Plane go crunchy. <laughs> moving on from that. Uh, Bergen, Norway, which raised some eyebrows three times weekly on a 757-200. I like those eyebrows. I, I, I like, like it. The it. It's shades of uh, Norwegian. That was one of the original Norwegian long haul routes to JFK. I did not see this route returning anytime soon, but that's an interesting one. United says you can go see mountainous landscapes and breathtaking fjords if you fly to Bergen. That's true. It's true. Palma de Mallorca in Spain, Tenerife. That is not a route served by a U.S. airline in, I have no idea how long. Pan Am was probably still flying that when that route was last served. And some other interesting things, routes resumed and expanded. Shifting flights to Haneda outside of uh, Tokyo instead of Narita, which is interesting. So lots of anticipation that transatlantic service will be the flights to book in summer 2022 while removing capacity from the Pacific because Asia just really hasn't opened up as quickly as Europe has so far. Yeah. So I want to talk about a, a few of these. Let's start with Bergen. Bergen's interesting because it doesn't start until May of next. Most of these don't start until, yeah, three of them start in May of next year and then two of them in June. So these are, you know, basically spring summer routes for next year. Not that, you know, who doesn't want to go to Jordan in the middle of the summer, but neither here nor there. The Bergen one's interesting because of the cruise industry. There's a, you know, a, a big, cruise port there. And so if you're if you want to go cruising in the north, Bergen's a good entry point for that. So I think United's betting on that. And then the two Tenerife and Palma de Mallorca are both kind of the perfect 
I mean, they're European leisure destinations. And I think United says, well, why not us too? Palma's where Lufthansa was running H-350s and 748s because it was the only place Germans could go. It's basically Europe's Caribbean, which raises the question of why would an American want to go to Europe's Caribbean since it kills an entire day each way as opposed to going to the Caribbean where you're there before lunch. So uh, I'm guessing some Americans would want to go just to go because it's somewhere new, but uh, that's going to be a real tricky flight, the uh, the Palma de Mallorca flight to fill up with the 767-300. Uh, that's a lot of capacity. Yeah, I guess we'll see how long these last. Of course, you know, the standard caveat of these could go away very quickly if they don't work. Uh, they may not but, launch at uh, all. Yeah, well, and that's always possible. There is that. There is that. There's also some expanded service back to Europe, more, uh, let's see, more Munich, Dublin, Berlin, Milan, and Rome, all getting either new or additional service. And then, like you mentioned, there's a bit of a pullback, but they are adding some flights to Japan out of, well, three different airports. Newark, LAX, and Dulles are all getting a Tokyo flight beginning the end of March. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I still don't see Japan opening by then, but fingers crossed. I'm not going to go, but uh, hopefully someone else can. Let's see. Let's stay with what airlines are doing and talk about what happened last week with the demise or cessation of Alitalia, the, I guess, brief glimmer of a Alitalia revival under ITA, and then ITA going, no, no. just kidding, but this is what we're going to do instead, and everyone going, wait, what? So at the beginning, October 15th, Alitalia ceases to exist as the airline. Same day, ITA, huge surprise, spoiler alert, not a surprise at all, ITA wins the bidding for the Alitalia brand at 90 million euros. That's which is, a lot of millions of euros. Well, it's a lot of euros. It's not the 200 million that they were originally asking for. So that's something to keep in mind. But the important thing is, is that ITA won the the bidding or was was handed the brand for a sum of money that the Italian government had paid to ITA, that ITA then paid to the Italian government through uh, an intermediary called Alitalia. Uh, so the Italian Taxpayer basically paid itself 90 million euros for the rights to use a branded idea. That sounds like a total, totally transparent and up to snuff process. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, so it was up to snuff and it was kind of transparent. Whether or not there's anything wrong with it, I think a whole different story. Yeah, but. but well, but. But the idea was that ITA would then take over, you know, the Alitalia brand. They've decided, no, we are not going to do that and come up with a brand of their own that's different. Is that how we can describe it, Jason? Can we describe it as different? It is blue. It's very blue. It's incredibly blue. It's weird. It has formed some opinions or people have formed some opinions about it. I do not know where I stand yet, but at least it's not white with a splash of tiny bit of color on the tail. I would very much like to see it on an airplane, on an actual airplane, as opposed to a 240p rendering on a giant video screen. But yeah, it just seems if they were looking to make a clean break, 
why did they put the Italian flag and the Alitalia colors on the tail? And why? I, I guess and, it's like a nod and why to the past. New, but why is their new logo basically a rehash of the Alitalia logo, but it just says ITA Airways? I don't know, but I'm most curious to know if ITA paid ninety-ish million dollars to license the Alitalia brand. Were there other bids just below that? Other companies are looking to buy the Alitalia brand for eighty-five million, and ITA just had to keep upping and upping, upping its own bid to eventually secure it. Uh, who is probably running up that cost? Is like Emirates out there? trying to buy the Alitalia brand for like $82 million or euros, we'll never know. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll know eventually if there were other bidders. But the the idea was basically for ITA. And we keep saying ITA, but we're not really sure if it's ITA or ITA. So it could be both. I don't know. Let's go with ITA. ITA Airways. But the idea is that they will now own the brand, own the rights to the brand, and then not use it as a way to prevent anyone else from coming in and using the Alitalia brand and running an airline or or selling shoes or, or what have you under the Alitalia brand. I think I get the idea that they want to, to have a fresh start and want to create their own brand identity. However, the brand identity was so strong and all the planes are already painted. You just paid 90 million euros for something. Why not get your money's worth and just keep going with it? I don't really know. And it's the Alitalia brand wasn't really tarnished or invalidated. People still love the Alitalia brand. They love the the airline. They love the people. The people love the people. So why get rid of it? It's very odd. Maybe they really just want to do get away from the past. But Alitalia is not really a brand that you should want to get away from. You should want to fix it, repair it, not get rid of it. Right. I mean, to me, the idea is that if the brand is tarnished or people have a poor association with the brand, then you want to get rid of it. But people, like you said, they liked the Alitalia brand. It was just kind of the assumption that the airline was going to be poorly run. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they've reframed that assumption. With this no, new livery and well, new air, like, everyone's just, well, it's the same. They just fired. It almost made it worse. They just fired a bunch of people and changed the name. You know, it, know, it, almost, but, it almost makes it worse. But you're right that all the planes are still in Alitalia livery. The interiors of the planes still say Alitalia. Nothing has changed. There are new safety cards that say ITA or ITA instead of Alitalia. And that's about all that's changed. And the website. But that's not really difficult. Yeah, very, very hard. You got to you know, paint stuff and copy paste. Click buttons. Do the flight attendants and pilots have new uniforms or do they just have Alitalia uniforms with a new sticker on them or something? I don't, I don't I know. I don't know. We should send me to Italy to find out. On it. Uh, you leave right now. Go. Okay. I have to wait until they start their uh, transatlantic operation again. Ah, yes. Okay. Well, take BA2 back over. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And I guess then- there would be a BA2 if there's a BA1, huh? Surprise, no. They're just leaving the A350. Just leaving it there. Uh, (laughs) Actually, there is no (laughs) BA2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that. Okay. There's a BA1, but no BA2. Interesting. All right. Uh, Nobody cares about two. One's a better number. There's our episode title. Nobody cares about two. (laughs) Let's stick with some happy news before we switch gears. On October 15th, We tracked 102,964 commercial flights, which is the most that we have tracked so far 
this year. On the same day in 2019, it was 119,979 flights. So the increase is, uh, it's still going as far as commercial flights go. Commercial flights are usually very seasonal and total flights are a little less seasonal. And this year, things have kind of turned on their head where as we've gone through the year and things keep opening up and there's more traffic and more flying, the number of commercial flights per day has continued to increase while the number of total flights has been more seasonally in line with what we've seen in the past. So it's going to be really interesting to see the fact that probably the day with the most tracked commercial flights is going to be sometime in mid-November this year, which is just a such a strange thing to see given everything we've seen in the past about how seasonal flights are and, and where we see this huge spike in August before everyone goes back to school and then things die out. Tank on Christmas because no one's flying on Christmas. Some airlines don't even operate. And then we steadily increase throughout the, the rest of the year as, as the, the year changes over. So it'll be interesting to see how busy November actually is and how much things kind of readjust to, to seasonality if they do it all before the end of the year. All right. More flights, more better. More flights, more better. Okay. Now we have to switch gears and talk about things that are not so happy. Especially for Mark Forkner. So Ooh, Mark Forkner, that guy, Mark Forkner, who's been mentioned on this podcast uh, many a time, is the former Boeing chief technical pilot on the 737 MAX program. And last week, he was charged with fraud by the uh, US Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Texas, a shiny gold coin t-shirt, hat, stickers, whatever you want, to anyone that can convincingly explain to me why these cases are being charged in the Northern District of Texas. There's huh. nothing related to the, to the Boeing 737 MAX program takes place in Texas. Boeing has facilities, but none of them, it's not where they built them. It's not where the Boeing headquarters. Where do the uh, greenies, the fuselages come from? They come from- Spirit Aerosystems, uh, not Texas. Yeah, but they don't, do they go through Texas at some point Uh, on the train? I mean, no, because they had north. They had north. They come from Wichita, yeah. So not even that- I mean, yeah. So anyway, name your prize if if you can convincingly explain that to me. Email us at podcast at fr24.com. Back to the story. Mark Forkner, former Boeing chief technical pilot for the 737 MAX program, charged with fraud last week related to what the federal government is saying were false statements regarding his decision or uh, what his actions removing the mention of MCAS from the documentation about the 737 MAX systems. So he is the only person that has been charged with a crime related to the 737 MAX program, the two crashes, anything. As we talked about in a previous episode, and we'll put that link in the show notes so that you can go back and kind of refresh your memory if you'd like, Boeing as a company entered into a deferred prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice that, as Jason and I felt, and many legal observers who are much more wise in the ways of all of these things, felt was kind of a sweetheart deal for Boeing. So Mark Fortner is the only 
person who has been charged with any crime. Again, all standard legal disclaimers that he has been charged and not convicted of a crime, et cetera, et cetera, apply. We are just mentioning this for information and not trying Mark Fortner. But does that leave does that leave room for or I should say and does that leave room for additional charges? I do not know, but it's certainly something that we'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, it certainly seems like that Mark Fortner will become the the fall guy at at the Boeing Corporation, which is probably not the right decision. Yes, he was – I mean, he covered up enough and acted in a manner that obviously these charges are probably warranted. We'll see whether or not he's actually – where those charges lead to. But there are many others, I'm sure, within the Boeing Corporation that deserve similar charges. But as we saw, the DOJ under the Trump administration gave the Boeing Corporation a very sweetheart deal, basically less than a slap on the wrist and they had to cut a check of some insignificant amount of money. And then the, um, I believe the lawyer or the prosecuting lawyer at the DOJ then left the DOJ and then joined the defensive lawyer team at the company that Boeing was using for its own defense, which is all sorts of scummy, but that's just how it works here. But I don't think it's fair to individualize Mark Faulkner in this and only go after him. There are plenty of others. I think the entire board should be indicted the same way that Faulkner has here. They were all well aware of what was happening. They led the company. They still lead the company. Nothing has really changed there except for the CEO level has has rotated out from board member to CEO. I wish they would go after the board personally for their decisions. As we have seen, there hasn't been much of a cultural change at Boeing and those people are still in charge. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the the scapegoating thing. Forkner's lawyer has indeed said that he is being scapegoated. I don't disagree. I mean, clearly he has some culpability here, but he was not the man at the top making decisions. Uh, He was a link in the chain, but he was not where the buck stopped with the decisions being made at Boeing. Jason, I'm going to rearrange our show notes on the fly and tie in FAA Administrator Dixon's testimony that's scheduled for oh. tomorrow, the 21st of October. So he'll have already testified uh, by the but time we're the so podcast good, we're covering out. something that hasn't even happened yet. We, indeed, indeed. And thanks to Reuters, uh, David Shepperson over at. Uh, at Reuters, we know what he's going to say before he's going to say it as these things happen. And so basically, the information that is going to come out when he testifies tomorrow or yesterday, uh, if you're listening on Friday, is that the um, quote, our approach to aircraft certification and safety oversight has changed. The FAA's relationship with manufacturers is evolving. So basically, Dixon's saying, we're not going to get steamrolled again. We're not going to let that happen. And we are keeping more of the responsibilities for certification of the aircraft in-house at the FAA and not delegating them to a manufacturer, whether that's Boeing or another manufacturer, but keeping those as FAA employees themselves. Those responsibilities uh, will now be, be accomplished by FAA employees and not designated employees that are paid by the manufacturer working on behalf of the FAA. So that's a change that we knew was coming. It, it, there's, you know, uh, 
the laws that were passed kind of in the wake of, of all of this, the FAA is still working on implementing because there were, were quite, a, quite a number of kind of areas in which the, the FAA needed to, to improve or change things. But it'll be interesting to see what else comes out and if anything very interesting comes out in the non-prepared remarks portion of uh, his testimony on the 21st. We'll talk about that in next week's episode. All right, then. I'll definitely have my eye on this tomorrow and see what platitudes are discussed. <laughs> oh, you and your optimistic outlook on life. Yeah. Let's keep going then. We've got yesterday in Texas, an executive MD-87 went uh, – was departing a airport outside of Houston, did not in fact depart the runway as planned and went yeah, off the runway. the runway, not as planned. <laughs> not as planned. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, did not achieve lift and then continued well off the runway through a field, through some trees, broke apart, caught fire. Thankfully, 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 all 21 people on board were able to safely exit the aircraft and no one was seriously injured, let alone killed. Yeah, uh, so pretty fantastic, especially huge. for such an older yeah. aircraft. But uh, I mean, those older aircraft like the 727, they're built like tanks. So structurally, it looks like it was fine, but the fire – resulting fire kind of destroyed the entire fuselage and right, now we right. now we just have this eerie eerie photo set of the tail and the two rear mounted engines just kind of hanging out there almost totally intact with the yeah. NTSB investigator standing underneath it it's very weird yeah the whole thing is very like you said eerie NTSB investigators are on site we unfortunately did not track the aircraft didn't receive the signals that didn't get off the ground or there was an issue at some point, but unfortunately, we didn't have data for it. Uh, I would have liked to have looked at that. But the NTSB is on site. They are, I'm sure, our uh, former interviewee, Sean Payne, is uh, busy getting ready to receive the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder and to see what that has in store for him. And we'll find out more as we learn. Let's quickly get through some stuff and then call it a show. Next episode, we will have the chief test pilot for Airbus on the podcast. We're That's speaking a with him. Kind of interview. Yeah, we're speaking with him next Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. Malcolm Ridley is the chief test pilot for Airbus. He has flown all sorts of things, beginning with a career in the military and continuing on all the way through piloting the A350, the A380. And when I spoke with him in Toulouse last month, he was busy strapping things to the wing of an A321 to simulate icing. And we'll certainly be talking about that because I want him to uh, to explain what that was all about and learn more from him. So next week's episode is going to be a fascinating one. I spoke with him twice in Toulouse completely by accident, just kind of standing around. And I'm kicking myself still that I didn't get a chance to record him when we were chatting because he's a fascinating guy. So definitely look out for next week's episode. We're, we're going to have a, a very, very interesting conversation. And I'm really excited about that. A couple tracking notes, I guess we can call them. The last ANA A380 was delivered. The orange turtles have gone home. So ANA now has all three of its A380s. You've got blue, green, and orange flying turtles. And so look for that uh, at some point when they recommence service to 
Hawaii, uh, from Tokyo to Hawaii. That's great. Don't they have names? You're just calling them by their colors. What are their names? I don't know what their names are specifically. There's the Flying Hanu, I, I think is the, the overall name, but I don't know. Oh, if I they think they actually do just call them by their color. ANA Blue, Emerald Green, and Sunset Orange. I don't think they actually have mm-hmm. names, but they have colors. Interesting. There you go. The 777X, one of the test aircrafts, was in the words of Jason when we were doing the pre-show notes, quote, unquote, spinny things over the desert before Dubai. A completely accurate description. Fascinatingly accurate statement. So, what we surmise is that the 777X will be making the trip to Dubai for the Dubai Air Show and will be doing a flying display. We will have coverage of the Dubai Air Show on various channels for Flight Radar 24, and we'll have a chance to kind of do a, a show recap. Jason and I aren't going, but we'll be we'll be fed information from various places, and we'll have a bit of a recap when that comes up. And that is the middle of November, I think, begins the thir- 14th is the first day of the show. Uh, so we'll, we'll have more on that. And then last but not least, we talked about Qatar Airways bringing back the A380 kind of against its will. Singapore and BA, on the other hand, bringing the A380 back not against their will, but just bringing the A380 back. And those are set to return. Uh, BA is bringing theirs back on the last day of October, so 11 days time. And Singapore will bring theirs back. I think the first one is on the 4th of November. And that is going to be a, a very short hop, the world's shortest A380 flight from Singapore to Kuala Lumpur. So that will be uh, that will be fun. It is average flight time between uh, Singapore and Kuala Lumpur forty four minutes. Definitely deserving of an A three eighty. I can't think of any better route. I mean, shaking the rust off. They're they're, yeah, they're shaking it's the rust off. Happen. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, the same as BA doing some uh, proving runs with the A380 to, what was it, doing Paris or, or Frankfurt or yeah, something? It'll do, it it'll do uh, it. Frankfurt. So, so the weird thing is they're starting with Hong Kong, but then a week later, they add Frankfurt and Madrid. So I assume they've got enough pilots to do the Hong Kong flight, but then they need to get pilots back in the seat for additional services before they start things in December up. So they've got Hong Kong on the 31st of October. That begins. Then on the 8th of November, Frankfurt and Madrid get started. And then into December, we add Dubai, Miami, and Los Angeles, and then Johannesburg, Singapore, Chicago, and San Francisco following into the new year. So all sorts of good fun stuff coming up as far as the A380. A380 is making its way back slowly but surely, and we'll see who else brings it back in the meantime. I guess the the demise of the A380 was slightly exaggerated, uh, but we'll see how long these services uh, remain in force. The A380 won't truly be back until HiFi is operating it on behalf of Norwegian. Now, on that one, are holding my breath, but in case it happens, we will absolutely talk about it on a future episode of AvTalk. For now, this has been AvTalk episode 134. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.